higher, but I did not trip walking up here and nobody left, so we're off to a good start. I will apologize though because Steven said was happy nobody clapped when he wasn't sharing, but nobody booed when he said I was sharing, so um, I'm not anywhere near as smart or are as articulate as Stephen, but uh, I heard something, I think it was either on a podcast or something, that um, what you don't know does not cancel out what you do know. And, you know, like take the sun, for example. I don't know a whole lot about the sun. I don't know how far away it is from the earth. I don't know the temperature. I don't know what it's made of, but I know that it's big. I know that it's bright. And I know that if I stay in it too long, I'm going to turn red. So the same thing with the word of God. There's a lot that I do not know. There's a lot that I'm trying to figure out, but I do know that Jesus loves us. He died on the cross, saved us from our sins, and with him we'll have eternal life. Amen? I should stop there while I'm ahead. <clears throat> but then y'all probably ask me to preach every week now. So, um, so Stephen asked me to share kind of what's been on my heart lately, um, and I think uh, this can really apply to all of us. Um, and I'm going to read what I'm going to base everything off of today is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Amen. So I'm going to pray before we jump into this. Heavenly Father, on this Memorial Day weekend, uh, we thank you for those who have given the sacrifice for this country, God, for the freedoms that we enjoy here, God. And we thank you that you blessed us with this great nation and everything that we have here. And most of all, we thank you for the freedom to be able to freely worship you and praise you and share your word with others around us, God, that many in other countries do not enjoy that freedom. And uh, we thank you for your word, that it lead, guides, and correct us in our life. And we thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross. We ask, this, ask that you help us to love you and love each other more every single day. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this has kind of been on my heart because a lot of you hear it a lot now, especially with the way 2020 was, is everybody's looking for something to put faith in, something to put their hope in, because you look around and all you see is, is death and destruction and disease and all of these terrible things. And you look and you're just like, surely there's got to be something that I can hold on to, that I can put my faith in. That gives me hope. Surely there's better than what we've got right now. Um, and everybody, a lot of people say, you know, if we just love one another, it's going to fix our problems, which I slightly, I do agree with that, but we're going to get to that in a minute. There's a, there's a right and a wrong way to do that. Um, and the Bible teaches us that. Um, and I will say that it's very important for us as Christians that we get our definitions from the Bible. That, you know, the very first page of my Bible has Isaiah 40, verse 8 on it, where the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. And that's because it does not change no matter how you feel that day, no matter what's going on, no matter if you're happy, sad, tired, upset. The word of God is always the same, yesterday, today, and forever, and it's not going to change. So if you get your definitions from here and not from the world, if the world will tell you, here's what love means, here's what faith means, it's going to change based on how we're feeling that day because we fit it to fit our narrative and what we want to get across. Um, 
So we're going to kind of dive through these three things that we read about in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we'll start in faith, obviously. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So as Christians, we put our faith in one thing, Jesus Christ dying on the cross. That is where we put our faith. Because we know that when we put our faith in that, that it's not changing, that it's true, and that we are going to be saved because of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, Stephen mentioned, you know, asked why we have faith. And this is a simple question or simple answer to that is because without faith, we're, we're a mess. We need Jesus because we are admitting that I'm not okay. I've got problems. I've got issues that I can't figure out how to fix. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but I don't know how to fix it. And so I need help. And if you don't have faith, the opposite of that, what you're saying is that you can figure it all out, that you don't need Jesus, you don't need God to help you in your life, and that you can do it all on your own. We can fulfill the law. We, we can uphold the law. We are not sin that we are perfect. And clearly, anybody who is even somewhat honest will admit that every single day we fail. And uh, Philippians chapter 3 Verse 7, Paul is talking about how before he used to put his his faith and what he used to believe in his actions, that his actions were important and that his actions were going to save him. And so in verse 7, he starts and says, I once thought these things were valuable, talking about his actions, but now I consider them worthless because what of Christ, what? because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right depends on faith." I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Amen. What Paul is saying there is that there's only one thing that we can put our faith in that's not going to let us down. There's only one thing that is truly going to make us right, and that's faith in Jesus Christ and the power that came when he died on the cross. Amen? Amen. So, now we'll jump into hope. Um, And so I said it's important to get our definitions from the Bible, and someone can correct me afterwards if I'm wrong, but it's, I could not find anything in the Bible that says hope is blank. Talks about faith is blank, love is blank, but hope, there's nothing in there that says the exact definition of hope. But what it does instruct us is what we need to put our hope in. And hope is only as good as what we put it in. So um, I've got an example for you. I've been from Michigan, like Stephen said. I grew up and have always been a Detroit Lions fan. Uh, And some of y'all who know football probably already laughing at me. But every Sunday, for as long as I've been alive, we put our hope 
and watching the Detroit Lions, thinking, hoping that they're going to win. So I will be 28 years old in July. Does anybody know the last time the Detroit Lions won a playoff game? Not a Super Bowl, not been to the Super Bowl, won a playoff game. It's been 29 years. <laughs> My entire life, I have not seen the Detroit Lions win a playoff game. Now, there is an asterisk. A couple, five or six years ago, should have beat the Cowboys. The referees, Jerry Jones, had a little something in their pocket, but uh, still, still lost. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. So, by that, the Detroit Lions are a bad example for me to put my hope in. Yet, every Sunday, call me stupid, call me loyal, whatever you want to. I'm still sitting on the recliner watching them. Now, Tom Brady, on the other hand, has won seven Super Bowls. Tom Brady is also went to the University of Michigan. So, at least I have that. I put my hope in that. Tom Brady has won the same amount of Super Bowls as the Lions have been to the playoffs. Seven, which is ridiculous. So, um, I say that to go to Isaiah. I'm going to read out of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles, and they will run and grow, not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faith. Or, excuse me, not grow faint. Those who trust in the Lord, you put your hope in the Lord, you're going to find strength. There's a lot of things we can put our hope in. We can put our hope in our spouses, we can put our hope in our friends, and those are great support systems, those are great things to have when we need them, but if that's all you put your hope in, you're going to be let down, because we're all flawed, you know, as great of a husband as I like to try to be, I'm going to let Hallie down, and she's not here right now, so she may not have heard that, but um, she knows that, like Pastor Jake said it before, that uh, you can be a great husband or wife, but you're a terrible God. And that's what, that's what I would be, is a terrible God, but I would try to be a good husband. So Hallie needs to have more hope in God and put her hope in God than in me. Um, and there was recently a study, a Gallup poll, um, and it compared mental health from 2019 to 2020. And what it did is it broke down, it, it, everybody kind of was broken down into different groups, whether you're male or female, um, Republican or Democrat, household income, um, and then it compared, asked you between your mental health between 2019 and 2020, and obviously we all know coronavirus in 2020 was the big factor. And every single group, their mental health decreased from 2019 to 2020, except there was one group that actually increased, and that was those who attended church service weekly. Why? Because those who attend church service weekly, we're not putting our hope in our government. We're not worried about Republicans or Democrats. Guess what? The coronavirus, it didn't matter if you were Republican or Democrat. If you were gonna get sick, you were gonna get it. If you were gonna die, you were gonna die. It didn't matter. Republican or Democrat didn't save you. Trump wasn't going to save you. Biden's not going to save you. You put your hope in your money. Well, what happens when you can't go to work? When they shut it down? Well, now what? Now what are you supposed to do? That was a bad thing to put your hope in. But 
when we put our hope in God, God's not going anywhere. God's here. God's going to bring us through it. Whether we are alive or not, we're going to heaven. So we put our hope in that. We don't put our hope in these things on earth that, we, that give us temporary hope, that give us, you know, oh, I pay my bills. That's great. What are you going to do next week? What are you going to do the week after that? And Psalms 119, 114, you are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. Your word is my source of hope. Why? Romans 8, 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against his will, all creation will be subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when we will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Everything here on earth is temporary. It's all going away one way or the other. We put our hope in God, and we have an eternal hope that we're going to live in heaven and that everything we suffer here on earth will go away. Amen? So now, leads me to the last part of our verse that I opened with, and that's love. Um, and love, to me, is something that the devil has used and twisted so much that we don't even know what love is. We can't agree on what love is. And like I said, people say, well, you just love each other and that'll fix everything. Well, that's great when we agree. Well, I love you. I love you. you we agree. But what happens if we disagree on something? Well, now you don't love me anymore. That's what the world wants you to think. Well, sorry, we're not going to agree on everything. No matter how much I love you, I love Hallie more than anything here on earth. Trust me, there's a whole lot of stuff we do not agree on. <laughs> and she'll be the first one to say that. Uh, we're both very stubborn, and we can disagree on quite a bit. But I know no matter what, I love her. And that we're going to get through it because we love each other, but not because we love the way the earth has told us to love, because our love is rooted in the word of God and what God says. Amen. First Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Amen. So there's a whole lot there to try to digest. Um, and like I said, the world definition of love is completely different than, than what we just read there. Um, like I said, we're patient and kind until we come to a crossroads. And then all that patience and kindness is out the window, and now it's, it's hate and evil. So the world also thinks that love means that we all just need to sit around a campfire holding hands and singing kumbaya, and that's also not, gonna, that's not feasible. That's not going to happen. But there is a way that we can still love the way God loves, and that's in the Word. Proverbs talks about how 
the Lord corrects those he loves. Because when you love people, you want to see them go down the right path. You don't want to see them led down death and destruction, which is where we will go. And, and what the world would say is that if you love somebody, you just need to tell them it's okay that I love you and what you're doing is okay. I support you no matter what. But the Lord corrects those. Why does he correct those he loves? He doesn't want to see us go down that path because he knows what will happen when you go down that path. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 8, there's a season for everything is what it's talking about. It talks about there's a time to love and a time to hate, which when you think about it, you're like, well, if there's a, there's a time to love and there's a time to hate, if you're saying I should love, how, how are you supposed to hate? That's, that's the opposite. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if you go to Proverbs 6, 16, there's going to be some clarification there. And this is what this is talking about. Um, there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests, which I kind of laugh sometimes when I read like stuff like that, where it's like there's six things, no seven, because it's breathed by God, but man wrote it. So I feel like sometimes if I wrote that, I'd be like, wait, six? Oh, no, wait, God, there was seven God told me. I got to remember that last one. So um, there's seven things he detests, detests, that strong language like we talked about last week, hates and detests. That's not, that's not loving, right? That's, he hates that. That's the opposite of that. That's what you would think. So those seven things, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. Those seven things God detests. You go back to 1 Corinthians 13, 4, they directly contradict each other. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and you go through these seven things God detests, haughty eyes, which haughty means arrogant or, or superior, love does not boast. A lying tongue, you do not delight in evil, you rejoice in truth. 1 Corinthians. Hands that kill the innocent, love always protects. A heart that plots evil, love does not delight in evil. And there's a funny quote kind of with the hands that kill the innocent, heart that plots evil. If you know, uh, if you ever watch Duck Dynasty or you know Uncle Cy, uh, he has a quote when somebody was asking him how they're supposed to love. You talk about loving God and loving your neighbor, but you're being, you know, pro-gun and all these things. And uh, what Uncle Cy said is he says, boys, we'd much rather sit down and have a Bible study with you. But if a gunfight breaks out, we're ready for that, too. And that's because there's evil in the world. There's evil, and you need to protect. And that's what love says. you got to protect. Amen? So the, moving on, the fifth thing, feet that race to do wrong, and love tells us love does not delight in evil. The sixth, uh, bear false witness, that, or false witness that pours out lies. Love does not dishonor others, and love rejoices in truth. Uh, the seventh thing, there sows discord in a family. Love is kind and keeps no record of wrongs. Amen? And in, in Galatians, when it talks about the fruits of the Spirit, and love is one of the fruits of the Spirit, it says there's no law against these things. Why? Because when you love, you don't do these seven things that God's telling you that he hates. You don't even think about that. It's not, oh, I don't think today, I'm not going to lie today. No, I love everybody in here so much that I'm not going to lie to you. I love my wife so much that I'm not going to lie to her. So there's no law that's needed for that. 
But I say that to say that we also need correction, but there's a right and a wrong way to correct. There's a loving way to correct. And Jesus outlines this perfectly in one of my favorite stories in the Bible, uh, John chapter 8, with uh, the prostitute woman caught in adultery. And I'm going to start in verse 7. Basically, the woman was caught in adultery, and the law says they could take her out and they could stone her. They were going to kill her because she was unfaithful. And so Jesus intervened here, and in verse 7, they kept demanding an answer from Jesus what they should do. And Jesus said, all right, but let not one of you who has ever sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. So, the reason I love this story is because there's, there's a couple different things you can take from this. If you're the stone throwers, so if that's, that's you going to tell somebody what they did was wrong, you're going to throw stones at them, you need to first examine yourself because you're imperfect. You need help. You have messed up so bad that you deserve death. But Jesus intervened for you too. Jesus intervened for you so that you didn't get death. Even though that's what you deserved, that's not what you got. So examine yourself when you're going to correct somebody because you're not coming to correct them to condemn them. You're coming to correct them to help them because you want to see their life enriched and fulfilled, not led down this this path that they're going down. Jesus also looks at the prostitute that that committed adultery that she, she did wrong. Jesus didn't say, hey, I love you so much. You know, I love you. Keep, you know, go ahead. Keep doing what you're doing. You'll be all right. No, because Jesus knew that that path that she was on was going to lead to death. One way or another, she's either going to get stoned again. Jesus won't be there to save her. She'll get stoned. Or there's many other bad things that can come by committing adultery. I'm not going to go into all that. But you know there's, that that's not a path that's going to lead to life. But what did Jesus do? I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Change what you're doing because it will lead you to a path of life. He didn't argue with He just simply corrected them in a loving way and told them both to change what they were doing, the way they were thinking. And that leads me to my, if you were asking me one of my favorite verses in the Bible, this would be it. And it's because it's helped me so many times I need to practice it even more than I do, which you can say that about every verse in the Bible, but 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 through 26. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Whew, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth Perhaps God will change these people, people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. The reason I love that is because that directly lays out 
what we need to do as Christians. We need to, to correct those we love. We need to try to give people what has helped change our lives. But there's going to be difficult people that don't want to hear what you're saying. What good is arguing with them ever done? Look at social media. And I just, I eventually had to delete it because it, you just look at all the arguments on there. And what good is it doing? It just further divides everybody. So when you go to correct somebody and you tell them the truth of what Jesus has done, you don't argue with them. Instead, you tell them the truth. If they don't want to hear it that day, that's fine. What do you do for them? You pray for them. It's not your job to change their heart. It's your job to get them the, the information. Let God change their heart. Because God will change their heart. Let him do that. And um, in 1 John chapter 3, we're, we're not really mad if we get upset, somebody opposes the truth. We're not really mad at that person. What we're mad at is what they're doing, what they're saying. In 1 John chapter 3, don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one. That person is, is still a child of God. God still created them in his image. He still loves them more than anything, so we need to do that too. We're not really upset at that person. We still treat that person with love and respect. We want to try and fix what's controlling them. And um, an example for that, I don't know, uh, Paisley kind of gets on these movie kicks, and she'll want to watch the same movie over and over and over and over. And it started with Shrek, then it was Home Alone, then Toy Story, and now it's Incredibles. Which luckily, all those are pretty good movies, and there's multiple movies, so you can kind of, okay, you want to watch Incredibles, we'll watch one or two. But... In Incredibles 2, there's an example that I wanted to talk about, and the main bad guy, I guess, his name is Screenslaver. And what that, what that is is basically uh, you get hypnotized by either there's a screen or there's glasses that they put on you. And so when you put those glasses on, I will be the same person that I am right now, but then I put these glasses on, and I'm completely controlled by whatever the person controlling these glasses is doing. I, I'm no longer myself. The first person they caught was a pizza delivery boy. Well, he, wasn't, he was still a pizza delivery boy when he got arrested, but he, he was controlled by these glasses. And that's what's really happening in the world. It's still me, no matter what, if I'm here in church or I'm out there, and it's still me, the person. It's Tyler. It's a child of God. But there's something that's inside of me. Are we letting Jesus control us, or are we letting the devil control us? And that's what we're really fighting against. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against the evil spirits. Amen. So we're all made in the image of God. And so we all need to treat each other as we are made in the image of God. And then that leads me to my final point. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. Why is love the greatest? Have, we ever, have you ever thought about that? And that's kind of what I've been thinking about the last couple months, really. Um, why is love the greatest? There, the Bible doesn't accidentally put stuff in there. It's, it's in there for a reason. Love is the greatest because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers our sins. Without the love of God, we're all dead. Without the love of God, we, we have no hope. We have no faith. And Andrew just saying it, the grave is beaten, love has won. The grave was defeated because of love. 
The love of Jesus Christ dying on the cross is why love is the greatest. It saves us. It gives us eternal life. It doesn't matter how much faith and hope you have. If God didn't love us, we're all done. It doesn't matter. So you could put all the faith and hope you wanted to, but if God said, ah, Tyler, you screwed up two years ago, so I'm done. Nope. That doesn't happen. God's love never fails. He does not give up on us. And without the love of God, it doesn't matter what we have. We can't do anything for ourselves. So we don't ever have to wonder if God loves us. We don't ever have to, to guess, is, is God going to love me today? Is God going to take care of me today? Because he is. We know that he is. He loved us enough to sacrifice Jesus Christ on the cross. And Stephen mentioned it just a little bit ago that no greater love is one than the man who lays down his life for those he loves, for his friends. That's what God did for us. So if you ever question how much he loves us, he laid down his life for us. All he's asking from us in return is we put our faith in him, we put our hope in him, we love him, and we love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen? That's what I've got for you today. I hope that that uh, fulfilled you and... and uh, hopefully you got something out of that. Um, Andrew, if you want to go ahead and come on up, you can. Um, I'll go ahead and, and pray, and then uh, we'll sing together. Um, thank you for letting me share with you what God's done with my, in my heart. Uh, so we'll go ahead. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done in our lives, God. We know that we are broken and we, ha we are shattered inside, God, that we have no, no fix for what we've done, that we need something to put our faith and our hope in, God. We thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, that we can put our faith and our hope in that, and it will never fail. It will never deny us. It will never let us down. And we thank you that you love us so much that no matter what we do in our lives, God, that you are there for us, you will never never let us down you will never forsake us God and that to the end of this earth we can always count on you that you love us and that we can look to you for what love truly is and we thank you God that on this Memorial Day weekend that you you have blessed us that we pray for the families of those who have lost loved ones defending our freedoms because they love us so much God and we thank you for all that you do and continue to do every single day we pray that you would bless us as we leave for safe travels, for health, for everybody in here. And we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.